production. This message is not so, so you can find out if your pastor or someone else, some other preacher, yep, I knew it. I heard the message. It confirms that he loves money. No, no, no. This message is for us. So the exhortation in the text, I'm just going to dive right in, okay? Let's just, let's just get started, and we'll read the text as we go through it. <clears throat> the exhortation in the text, he begins in verse 1 of chapter 6, uh, talking about the servants being under the yoke, uh, count their own masters worthy of all honor. Same in verse 2, and they that have believing masters. This is dealing with being able to submit to those above you. Every good preacher must first learn submission to those above him. And in, in chapter 6 and verse 3, if any man teach otherwise, consent uh, not to wholesome words, uh, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness. Um, see the word godliness? Um, it's walking with God. It's, it's mirroring him, or uh, I think Galatians or Ephesians calls it imitating him. It is to be a, a duplicate of him or a reflection of him. Verse 6, this is talking about the man that won't consent to wholesome words. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words. And here's the life of those that will not receive the words and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Whereof cometh envy and strife and, and railings and evil surmisings. Now, this is what came into my mind. This is a missionary pastor writing to a pastor serving at Ephesus. Uh, this is two preachers talking. One's talking, one's listening. And he writes to him about some things that happen at the table talk at preacher meetings. So I, I want to encourage us today to guard ourselves from these things. Verse 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. And this is the people, this, he's describing the people that partake in these sins. Destitute of the truth. And here's their judgment. He's fixing to show you their measuring stick for godliness. Supposing that godliness is great gain from such turn away. He says they judge their ministries, they judge their walk off of material gain. Can you imagine judging God off of finances? Because here's the, here's the natural conclusion. He's really good if he gives a lot, and he's really bad if he doesn't. Surely it's not flip-flopped. Can I say to you that it is more harmful if he does give a lot and better if he doesn't? We'll see it just a little bit in our text. For such withdraw thyself. Then he says, but... So the verse that you've heard quoted, you probably learned in Sunday school, is an explanation or a clarification of the bad guys. It's a contrast. He's showing us what they are, what we need. Watch what he says. But godliness with contentment. What is contentment? Define it in your mind while we're, while we're sitting here now. What is contentment? Here's the greatest definition I could find. Sufficiency. Godliness and that being sufficient is great gain. So then he starts in the emergency room. For we brought nothing into this world. If you do that, if you go to the emergency room. We brought nothing into this world. Then he goes to the funeral home. 
And it is certain we can carry nothing out. From birth to burial, he makes very little of what America makes very much of. Ladies, any ladies in here that you wish y'all had more money? Would it, would it increase your view of your husband if he gave you more money? Does he love you as Christ loves the church? If he does, if he loves you passionately, you have more than what most American wives have. Godliness in that being sufficient. Part of godliness is him providing for his own. No doubt about it. But godliness, that being sufficient, is great gain. Verse 8, and having food and raiment, very simple, let us therewith be content. So you'd agree that he's, this is a missionary pastor writing to a pastor. So we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. It's going to be the, the, the main verses we look at this morning. Let me read some verses to you before we do. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. 1 Timothy 3, 3, he gives qualifications to the pastor. And there's, there's like 16 other ones other than him being married to his first wife. That is one of them. And one of them is not greedy of filthy lucre. If it's Lecrae, I've been saying it wrong a long time. Not greedy of filthy gain. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul's still writing to Timothy. He says, my partner, Demas, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Jesus in Luke 18 said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I think it's in three out of four Gospels. Proverbs 11.4 says these riches profit not in the day of wrath. I thought riches was profit. How can riches, profits, have no profits? Because if they're not laid up, they certainly weren't brought here and they certainly won't be carried out. The only way for, for goods, temporal goods, to have eternal profit is for them to be laid out, laid up. But lay up, Matthew 6, 21, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt, neither do thieves break through and steal. You want to do something, a real good investment with your temporal goods? Invest it in eternal things. 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. Same truth. Titus 1, 7, pastoral epistle, same truth. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. That's a bad one. No one wants to talk about that one. Not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Same thing. And I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. I'm just telling you, this is all throughout the Bible. Go start in Genesis. Watch men follow riches and crash their lives. Was it not the Laodicean church in Revelation 3 that was deceived by their own riches? Was it not someone that held the office of a bishopric that forsook Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver? 
Was it not three men that offered different excuses for temporary gain while they couldn't follow Jesus? These things are a greater problem, I think, than we realize. He's fixing to give us some descriptive language here that's really eye-opening. In verse number 9, we have the development of materialism, of the service toward this God. What is it like to serve this God of materialism? Here's a development. Let's read the verse together. But they that will be rich. It didn't say they that are rich. Do you see the will in the verse? We'll look, up the, we'll look at it in just a minute, but it means to purpose, deliberate, to intend, to desire, to be passionate for riches. They that have a will to be rich. It didn't say to get, have gain for the kingdom's sake. The, 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 the will is simply to be rich. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. That's a digression. It's going down. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Can you believe this is what this God offers and we still fall for it? Count them with me. They that will be rich fall into temptation. That's a bad thing. And a snare. That's number two. That's a bad thing. And many foolish lusts. That's another one. Hurtful lusts. That's number four. They drown men in destruction. That's five. And perdition. Total loss. That's number six. In one verse, we have six admonishments saying, don't be fooled by this. Serious business. And the preacher gets more warning about it than anybody. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. Do you see the word will? See the word will in the verse to intend, to purpose, to deliberate, to desire? The verse looks like it's saying that the desire, the will for riches is worse than riches themselves. I think that's enlarged upon, expounded in the next verse, that it's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Preachers, let us guard ourselves from making more of things than what God ever intended us to make of them. They that have intended or purposed or deliberated to be rich, here's what happens. They fall, not rise. They fall. I don't want to fall. Never do I get up and think, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to go for a good fall today. Never. They fall. A swift action. And the first thing they fall into is temptation. Have you, if you ever fish during the springtime and draw fish off their beds, you just got to find what they want. And you know what, you know what happens if, if you ever get it figured out? It's the best time to fish of the whole year. Because you find out their will. And you lay in front of them what's tempting. This is the lure. This is point number one of point number one. This is the lure, the temptation in this trickery of riches. The temptation, the lure. He said they fall into temptation. Here's what happens. To us in church, something's thrown in front of us and it lures us out of church. But that's not number one. It lures us off the bed where the children are. It lures us away from protecting that which needs our protection. Preachers, what if it lures us away from our watchtowers, watchmen? 
if it lures us away from our private intercession time with God for the church, chasing riches, trying to get more and more. How much is enough? How much is enough? I read a European millionaire's testimony. They asked him how much would be enough, and his answer is one more million. Yeah, right. Solomon said it best. He said, nobody's outdone me. He said that the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear with hearing. This temptation. So the temptation, if not dealt with immediately, to the preachers, if you see that I'm tempted, I'm being drawn away from my walk with God. I'm being drawn away from the things of God because of temptation for more and more. And if you see that, then it's time to get back to the bed. Because what's next is the snare. That's the next check mark. But aren't we all the exceptions? There are no exceptions to the word of God. Temptation and the snare. Here's a note. It isn't only the poor who desire to be rich, but the rich desire to be rich. A great danger, this may be a, maybe a side note. You talked about a rabbit, running a rabbit a while ago. A great danger I see today is we're ordaining men. I'm seeing men ordained that can't hold a job down. They won't top pay and can't hold it. God's got to work. You know, the first sight we get of God and the revelation of God is he's working. And Jesus said, Jesus said it like this in John 5, 17, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto. From that point all the way to now. You know what he said after that? And I work. John 5, 17. This is not, this is not a, uh, a message against working. This is not a message against, against desiring more. This is a message against our heart wanting more with no real aim other than more. It's a sin. You say, well, I want, I want more to leave to my children. A wise man leaving the inheritance to his children's children. Thank the Lord for it. But you know good and well, you have probably seen more people ruined by inheritances. I mean, how many people got a couple million dollars in inheritance and it got them in church fiery for Jesus Christ with a passion for witnessing and giving? <laughs> it's because of the trickery of this God of materialism. He tempts, then he snares. Now, number two under number one, maybe for notes, B, letter B. Not only is there a temptation, not only is there a snare, but then it's in the many foolish and hurtful lusts. It's two different kinds of lust. Here's what foolishness is. Foolishness is action without God. Foolish lust is desire without God. So to will to be rich will lead me to temptation and then a snare to be caught and then it will lead me to desires without God. Desires without him. Desires that he isn't within a million miles of. Desires that I never run by him to see what he says about it. This is what willing, desiring, intending to make a bunch of money or want a bunch of things with no real godly purpose. Foolish lust, hurtful lust. Listen to this. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.4, 2 
No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Watch this. There is nothing wrong with the affairs of this life. Nothing. But everything is wrong with being entangled by them. How do I judge that? What standard do I use to find out if I'm entangled by them? Are you, are you trimming God out in order to do more of those? That's entanglement. That's entanglement. I don't know if I can say it his way or not, but God doesn't expect anyone to sit down and study the printed word for 16 hours a day. I'm just telling you. What if I said this to, 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 to our men? It is, if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. And I say this respectfully. I say this with a pure passion and heart, Brother Billy Ray. I mean this from my heart. I am thankful that God has provided for my family through Calvary Baptist Church. But this is not a handout. Retribution, compensation, double honor. It is laboring in a vineyard expecting to, to drink the fruit thereof. It's laboring in a flock expecting to be clothed thereof. But I think sometimes preachers become the worst about going to church expecting an offering. And it ain't supposed to be that way. It ain't supposed to be that way. And, and, and here's what I would say if I were going to disagree with this. Well, some of them need it. No doubt about it. I mean, I can almost say unanimously, don't we all? But this God of materialism, it's about how much can I get? How much can I get? Hurtful lust? Foolish lust? They entangle us. And then B or C in this first First verse, we're only doing 9 and 10. They drown men. The two ways God will destroy earth, one is through drowning everybody, the other is through burning everybody. Now, he's never going to drown the earth again. He promised that. This, the rainbow is not for the Sodomites. It's for Bible believers. But while God isn't ever going to drown the earth again, the earth is drowning themselves. And materialism. Drown men. Man, what, what a way to die. To drown. If I told you today that I have something I'd like to give you, it's going to be really tempting, then it's going to hang you up, and it's going to make you have foolish and, and harmful desires, and then it's going to drown you in destruction and total loss, perdition. You would say, no thank you. That is what happens when we want more riches with no godly aim. It's guaranteed. So I didn't come to, you know, just bring this big negative rain cloud or anything. But I have to struggle with wanting more when I don't need it at that time. The itch for more is a real itch.
drowns men in destruction. Verse number 10, this is the destruction of materialism, the God of materialism. The love of money is the root of all evil. You know, I, was re- I, 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 I preached this yesterday morning at Calvary too. I told them, I said, I got a message. I'm going to try it out on y'all, see if everybody gets mad and leaves. If y'all don't, I'll preach it at camp meeting. So, but I was preaching this yesterday. I, I told the church this. I, I, went, I went and read a commentary behind this. I just, I just kind of wanted to do some outside reading on the love of money. <laughs> and the commentator started correcting it, saying that the love of money is the root of lots of evil, not all evil. And I sat there scratching my head. You know, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You know what the commentators say? This is the most controversial verse in the Bible. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, don't you let this Bible get too far below the commentaries. Keep it on top. Keep it on top. God says it's without controversy. The commentators say, well, this is the most controversial one. And they say that this verse is, this verse really means that, that the love of money is the root of all kinds or lots, not all. So this got my wheels to spinning. I mean, my, my water don't go real deep anyway, but, but it got me to spinning. It got me to thinking. Can I, can I back up? Can I prove? Can I stand on that the love of money is the base of all evil? That the love of money can cause you to sin a sin of every kind? Every kind. Can I, can I prove this? Now, before I do, I want to just give you a, a quick outline of it. There, there is an origin in here. Where's all the trouble come from? That, that wicked money. No, no, no. That wicked heart. The love of money. Presidents change. Their dead faces change. The currency changes. It all changes. What about if we ever go all digital? Guess what? The love of money will still be the root of all evil. The origin, the object, money, the outcome, evil, evil. Now, can the love of money, is, is, does the Bible teach us that it's the root or the base of all evil? Can the love of money cause you to commit every sin? Do you believe, I do, that, that the word of God can be, can be narrowed down, not, I mean, obviously the two, love God, love your neighbor, greatest commands, but that it can be narrowed down to the Ten Commandments to umbrella everything. Let's turn to Exodus 20. Let's turn to Exodus 20. Let's judge them genius commentators. Now, forget about them. Let's see if the love of money could make me break every commandment in the Ten Commandments. They get across the big water, big pond, what does God have for him? He has laws. These laws can be broken all by this one sin of loving money. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Idolatry. You don't reckon anyone's ever put work ahead of God income when they didn't need it. Doesn't the ox get in the ditch? He does. I think at some point everybody's ox gets in a ditch. I don't know who said this, but they said if he's in a ditch every Sunday, kill him and get a new one. So to put something before him, money, 
is to have a God before him. To hear, remember, remember the definition of deity, the, 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 the base definition is something supposed to, to, to possess divine qualities. It must possess some type of divine quality to forsake active duties for the sovereign God and to choose this when it's not necessary. So you could break commandment number one here in verse three, love and money. Verse four, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. You don't reckon that anyone's ever made concrete statues of a woman with her hands out for money. You wouldn't think that they have. Verse 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It didn't say don't use it in vain. He said take it. When you take something, you possess it and you go with it. You don't think preachers have ever uh, bore the name of God for money, do you? That is taking his name in vain. To sing with no heart is to take his name in vain. You don't think singers have ever sung in churches for the check and for nothing else, do you? They have taken his name in vain. What about verse number 8? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You don't reckon special days for the Lord have ever been uh, made unholy or forgotten about because of a desire for financial progress that's unneeded at the time? Yes. What about verse 12? Honor thy father and thy mother. You don't reckon that parents have ever been forsaken by their children because their children love money, do you? I do. Verse number 13, thou shalt not kill. You don't think anyone's ever been killed for money. I mean, if you read the Gospels, Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. And my first thought went to prostitution. But you don't think that a man or a woman that loved their career over their spouse has ever chased that career and left their spouse feeling alone and unloved and adultery ended up in that family. They still chose it, no doubt. But you don't think that a love of money's ever contributed to adultery in the home, do you? I do. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. That's pretty self-explanatory. Verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You don't think loving goods and possessions and money ever made anybody lie on somebody, huh? Verse 17, thou shalt not covet. That's pretty obvious. To desire that which isn't yours because you love possession. This is preachers. We have to guard this. We have to guard against this. We have to guard. This is the, the context of 1 Timothy 6 is to preachers. And you can break all ten commandments willing to be rich. It's so serious. So verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, the verse 9 is saying they that will be rich fall. This is they that will, this is what's going to happen. Verse 10 is what has happened. Some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. You mean to tell me when someone covets riches, the first thing they leave, according to Scripture, is their faith? Preachers? You ever preached with no heart? Studied with no heart? Prayed with no heart? 
Not because work got the best of you, but because you love work more than this work. It's a real, it's a, and I, I, don't, I don't know how to say this, but the temptation's there. It's a sin. It's robbery. It's stealing. But the temptation's there. Have erred from the faith, and this is what it says. Pierce themselves through self-murder. Self-inflicted piercings pierce themselves through with many sorrows. We're robbing ourselves of good life, loving things. 2 Timothy 2. This is my closing conclusion here. 2 Timothy 2. What's, what's it going to cost me as a, as a minister of the gospel if I choose to, to trade off I'll study enough and pray enough where the people still know that I'm doing my job. But what's it going to cost me, and I'm being sarcastic there, what's it going to cost me if I choose goods just just barely over God? Just enough to where I can satisfy the itch and they don't know it. What's it going to cost? And this is what it's going to cost you and me and every other minister. Verse 3 of 2 Timothy 2, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We will not be good soldiers. Of all the things for him to use as an example, he uses a soldier. Someone that exhibits self-discipline, self-denial for a cause above them. A soldier. We will lose our good soldier status. Verse 4, we will not please our, our commander. The last part of verse 4, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He chose you to be a soldier, a minister of the gospel. We will lose the pleasure of pleasing him. Do you preachers know how good it is to preach with a good conscience? It is wonderful. Verse 5, we'll rob ourselves of striving and winning lawfully. And if a man also strive for masteries, he strives to win. Yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? We'll rob ourselves from striving lawfully and winning. Verse number 6, we'll rob ourselves of being a partaker of the real fruits. The husbandman, now he's talking about a farmer, that laboreth must be first uh, partaker of the fruits. We're going to rob ourselves of fruit in our ministry. Verse number nine, when I suffer trouble, I suffer trouble. Verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Verse nine and verse 12, we rob ourselves of suffering for him. And in turn, we rob ourselves of reigning with him. Verse 15, we rob ourselves of being good students. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We rob ourselves of being good students of the word. Verse 20 and 21, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor to be tricked by the God of materialism. We will rob ourselves from being vessels of honor. 
Verse number 24, and the servant of the Lord. When Jesus talks about God and mammon, he talks about service. You cannot serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other, cling to one, despise the other, however he words it. But when he talks about God and mammon, he talks about service. If we love mammon, we do not love our master, and we are not being good servants of the Lord. Soldier, pleasing our commander, striving and winning, being a partaker of fruits, being sufferers for Jesus Christ, being good students, being sanctified vessels, being servants. So if, if today your mind goes to says, okay, well, then riches is bad news. It's not them. It's your will. It's your will. When you find a preacher that is willing, and this is the temptation, but is willing to trade what it takes to feed the flock at some point, and at some time, that preacher is going to be tempted, snared, and he's going to fall into foolish and hurtful lust. He's going to have an itch to buy things and buy things and buy things, and it's never going to be satisfied. There's not enough guns. There's not enough toys to satisfy that itch. And then people are going to see that. He's going to lose his own ability to minister to them, satisfying this itch, loving goods. Enough is never enough. There's never enough money. There's never enough toys. There's never enough fun. Enough is never enough. But when we get like that, if we get to that point, we'll study about 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, and that's enough. We must guard ourselves from this. I have not come today with, uh, with anything ugly in my heart. But when I begin to see this, and I began to just be honest and say, I've been tempted to want money and a bunch of it. Ain't nobody wants a $1 bill. I want the biggest one they got. But with, without the desire to honor my God with it. So I want to encourage you. Men, women, preachers, I want to encourage you to maybe survey your own heart and see where this God falls in your life. He's a, he's a God. He is believed, supposed, to possess divine qualities. But you didn't have him when you come here and you won't have him when you leave. I want to love the Lord Jesus Christ, serve him, and use, use things to his honor. That's my message this morning. If you'd like to have an invitation song, I want to invite you to pray.